Hey guys, it's Emma and Shannon, and welcome back to our podcast, She's an Engineer. Thanks for tuning in again this week. We're going to continue our series on wastewater treatment, and today specifically, we're going to talk about alternative uses for biosolids. Just as a refresher, in the last episode, I talked about the term biosolids, and this is the term for any sort of solids in the wastewater treatment process or sludge once it has already been treated. And if you're curious how it has needs to be treated, jump back to the episode we created two weeks ago. Yes. And also the idea for this episode and also kind of the previous episode was derived because, fun fact, I went to this museum called the Musée de Civilization in Quebec City in Canada and there is a poop exhibit and they presented really great alternative uses for biosolids. So shout out to them, like creds to them for this idea. Mm-hmm. Okay, so first we're going to go into how biosolids can be used and what types of biosolids can be used. So biosolids that can be beneficially used must meet specific federal and state requirements. So for example, some of these beneficial uses might include application to agricultural land and reclamation sites like mining sites. And when they're applied to these lands at the appropriate agronomic rate, They must provide a number of benefits, such as adding nutrition, improving the soil structure, and water reuse. It can also have economic and waste management benefits, such as conservation of landfill space, a reduced demand of non-renewable resources like phosphorus. Shannon kind of talked about that in the last episode, and also reduced demand for synthetic fertilizers, but they can also be disposed of by incineration, landfilling, or other forms of surface disposal, and we'll kind of get into that later. So I feel like house biosolids, like the things that you might think of biosolids coming from your home that you could produce in your own home include things like poop. That is a biosolid that you could have in your house, and we'll talk about also home usages of biosolids later. Mm-hmm. So there are generally four different types of biosolids that come in four most common forms. So the first is a biosolids cake. So this is raw sludge that is stabilized biologically, most commonly by anaerobic digestion. And then the liquid biosolids are then dewatered to produce this cake that is produ- that is consisted of biosolids. It varies between 15 to 30 percent solids for consistency with it balancing with water. It can also be dried further with air drying. A similar result also occurs with lagoon stabilization and air drying. And this is the most common from your municipal wastewater treatment plant. Mm -hmm. And the second most common form would be biosolid pellets. So These are raw sludge or liquid biosolids that are dewatered to approximately 20% total solids, and then they're further heated in a dryer and then dried to 95% total solids and then pelletized. So this is a lot more solid than the biosolids cake would be. Mm -hmm. The third most common form of biosolids would be a lime amended biosolid. 
So again, the raw sludge or biosolids are first dewatered, but then it's followed by the stabilization with the addition of lime. And the fourth most common form would be composted biosolids. So these are just dewatered raw sludge or biosolids, which are composted typically with other organic materials to produce a high quality product that is suitable for use in domestic gardens as well as in public parks and gardens. So this might be like something that you take and you produce yourself that you can then use to fertilize your plants. Mm -hmm. And then the EPA also differentiates biosolids into two different classes based on the treatment methods for the biosolids. So they're divided into class A and class B. So this depends on the treatment method. They have different specified treatment requirements for pollutants, pathogens, and vector attraction reduction, as well as for just general requirements for the biosolids and management practices. So it indicates that class A biosolids must eliminate pathogens, which include viruses. And then for class B, so generally pathogens might exist um, during the treatment process. So then the site restrictions are slightly different because then time should be allowed for pathogen degradation. So that following that you can harvest crops and turf for grazing of animals and for public contact so that people don't get you know, diseases such as cholera or other things that can be transmitted through human feces. Mm -hmm. And the differentiation between the classes here, it deals a lot with basically what you need to treat it to for your land use. And as you might imagine, class A is just treated to the higher standard, as Emma mentioned, so all pathogens are removed. And then this can often be used for fertilizer like directly. And then class B is just treated to a slightly lesser standard, so you need more time for the, the pathogens to die off before you use it. Okay, and then next we're going to talk a little bit about the current like biosolid management options. So further on into the episode, as I mentioned before, we'll talk more about like beneficial use of these biosolids, but I'll just briefly go over the three ways that they're managed. So generally, beneficial use would include after stabilization, composting, heat drying, or chemical fixation. These biosolids can then be beneficially used um, at appropriate application rates as soil conditioners, which include fertilizers, sources of organic material, on farmland, forest land, public works projects, landscaping activities, and in land reclamation. And then the second way that biosolids are managed is incineration. So incineration is the firing of biosolids at high temperatures in an enclosed device. So this results in an ash that must be properly disposed of. So this is like kind of like a non-beneficial use of biosolids, like you're not completing the cycle, but it is a mm -hmm. way that biosolids are dealt with. So the third option for managing biosolids would include landfilling. So typically it's 
when biosolids are placed at a disposal facility, which includes monofills, which are sludge-only landfills, or they're co-disposed with mixed solid waste. So typically these landfills have to have liners, groundwater monitoring, and they must comply with other criteria that, that regulatory bodies have. Yes, and for most municipal wastewater treatment plants, when you send the biosolids to the landfill, you can actually send it to just a general landfill. Sometimes if you have industrial waste, it has to go to a hazardous landfill, but general solids waste from residential areas can go to regular landfill. And then I also wanted to mention, as far as beneficial use, uh, here in Boise, we actually reuse some of our biosolids for fertilizer on corn crops, which the corn ends up going to cattle farms. But yeah, we actually use it here, which is a great sustainability initiative that they have put forward. Yeah, that's definitely really good. It definitely completes like the whole cycle. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then currently, I'll just talk a little bit about what biosolids are currently used for, like generally throughout the U.S., based on the EPA report for 2021. So in 2021, um, around 4.5 million dry metric tons of treated sewage, sludge, or biosolids were generated. 1.96 million dry metric tons of this biosolid was then applied to land. 1.15 million dry metric tons was applied to agricultural land and 35,000 dry metric tons were applied to reclamation areas. In other land applications, 796,000 dry metric tons of this were applied to um, things like home gardens, landscaping, and golf courses and other types of land. Around 633,000 of it, or dry metric tons, was incinerated, and 1.9 million dry metric tons of it was landfilled. Um, Also, 1.8 million dry metric tons of it was disposed of in a municipal solid waste landfill, and 95,000 dry metric tons was disposed of in a monofill, like a sludge-only landfill. And then for other management practices, around 57,000 dry metric tons of biosolids were used in just other practices that include deep well injection and storage. That's interesting. So just by comparison, most of the biosolids is sent or is land applied or sent to a landfill. So like those mm-hmm. are the most common uses. And most of the land applied is our agricultural And then most of the landfills, municipal solid waste landfills. Right. Thank you for that summary. That was really good. Yeah. Okay. And then speaking of land applications, we'll just talk briefly about how biosolids are currently applied in in land applications. So as we discussed before, agricultural land, I guess, or biosolids are most applied to agricultural land, at least in 2021, and I would imagine years prior. So basically, when it's applied to agricultural land, 
Okay, so it just means that the biosolids must be applied to the land at the appropriate agronomic rate, which this is the sludge application rate designed to provide the amount of nitrogen needed by whatever crop or vegetation that is grown on the land. So like the corn that Shannon mentioned um, that is grown in Boise. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, if biosolids is used for agriculture, at least now, they tend to not apply it to crops that humans are directly eating, but like indirectly eating, as I mentioned. So it could be mm-hmm. corn that which cattle are eating and then we eat the cattle. But it's not super common to put it directly on crops that we eat. Mm-hmm. And then it's also applied to reclamation sites, which is not as common as agricultural land. So... For this, biosolids have been used successfully to establish sustainable vegetation, reduce the bioavailability of toxic substances that are often found in soils, control soil erosion, and they help to regenerate soil layers at sites that have damaged soil. So this is like really important because um, some reclamation sites have little or no topsoil, so you need that soil regeneration. Mm-hmm. The third type is that it's used for forestry. So actually, biosolids have been found to promote rapid timber growth, which allows quicker and more efficient harvest of an important natural resource like wood. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And then lastly, lawns and home gardens. So biosolids can be applied to both lawns and home gardens. But these must be biosolids that meet the most stringent pollutant, pathogen, and vector attraction um, reduction requirements. And they can be purchased by the public from hardware stores like ACE, home and garden centers, or, you know, even a local wastewater treatment plant. So if you need more information about where to do that, you can contact your local utility or state environmental agency. And that mm-hmm. makes sense that you would have to meet the most stringent requirements because that is most contacted by humans and you would definitely not want any humans to any I guess any human to to become in contact with something that might make them sick potentially Mm -hmm. so why would you use it in agricultural applications like at all so some of the benefits of this include to supply nutrients so you can add some plant essential nutrients like nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. And it's a relatively like low cost. So you can get all of those nutrients like for your plants at a relatively low cost. It can also increase yields when you apply the biosolids to soils. So basically this is attributed to the availability of a wide array of trace minerals in your biosolids. So basically affects the overall health of the soil environment because most soils are deficient in the essential trace elements like heavy metals that are required by plants for healthy growth. And this deficiency can be amended by applying the biosolids to the soil. So it's basically kind of like a vitamin pill for the soil. Mm -hmm. And then it can also add organic matter. So... Increased organic matter is also an indirect benefit of biosolids, so it's not really, like, a huge impact, but it's, like, it is kind of too small to make a direct impact on organic matter increases, but it's basically, as a result from 
um, the corresponding increase in plant residues after harvest, such as leaves, stems, and more significantly, the proliferation of plant roots in the soil. So as a result from increasing your yield, like your crop yield, you will also get an increase in organic matter after you apply these biosolids. It can also improve soil structure, as we talked about before. So when these biosolids decompose, they can form a substance that glues and binds the soil particles together to form blocks. And so you can get a stable soil with good physical properties. So these soils, they will have an improved structure and have increased porosity, which enhances water root penetration and decreases bulk density. So it will all combine to give a favorable soil tilth. And then lastly, one of the other benefits is that it benefits the communities, frees up a lot of much needed room in sanitary landfills. Like as we said before, if you're applying more to the agricultural land, if you're doing more land applications, the second or the other more common thing or for use of biosolids was to go into a landfill and we do like need that space. So, so there is significantly less cost to the community when you apply the biosolids to land than with using disposal methods like landfilling or incineration. Mm-hmm. So there's a few different risks for land applying biosolids. The first is that the biosolids could contain disease causing organisms. So one health risk is the potential exposure to pathogens. Organisms in this category, the pathogens category, uh, include but are not limited to bacteria, protozoa, viruses, and others. Pathogens can be eliminated by treating the biosolids prior to the land application using one or more of the many available treatment technologies to control the pathogens. Another risk for land-applying biosolids is toxic chemicals. So a perceived risk is that biosolids may contain chemicals that are directly toxic in small concentrations or doses. Most pollutants can be considered toxic or harmful at certain concentrations or doses, such as high concentrations have rarely been found in biosolids. Common foods or products such as salt or ibuprofen are safe at normal levels, but are also toxic at certain high doses. And the same concept is true for biosolids. And this is actually something that is currently being researched in the environmental engineering field, is determining the concentration of pharmaceuticals that are in our biosolids because that could be of concern if it's being bioaccumulated in the plants that we're applying it to and we really at this time don't treat or don't remove pharmaceuticals because there's so many of them in aspirin and ibuprofen and all different medications so that's just something to be aware of and I guess, think of as maybe a concern if you're going to be using the land application directly for produce that humans eat. Mm -hmm, Definitely. And then lastly, we're just going to talk about some alternative uses for biosolids in the home, which is kind of the purpose of this episode, right? So Mm -hmm. I got all these ideas from the Museum of Civilization because surprisingly, 
Google does not have that much information on biosolids in the home. Mm, okay. So getting this information out there for sure. Okay. So it can be used for composting. So like in your home, you can use a composting toilet. According to those who have them, though, they do smell kind of bad. So just be like (laughs) aware of that. Yeah, these are also common for people that may live uh, in like a sprinter van or my cousin who used to live in a moving van had a composting toilet. So I I don't know much about them. I haven't thought about actually using it for your home, though, and then using the the biosolids. Yeah. So if you have, like, a garden or anything like that, you can use it. They say you can use it as fertilizer for your plants, just how manure is used. But you really need to be careful about how you're storing it. It needs Mm -hmm. to be stored correctly. It needs to be kept at correct temperatures so that you can avoid spreading diseases such as cholera that can be spread through human feces. So, like, we wouldn't want to go back to, like, the old days of, like, a couple hundred years ago where lots of people were getting cholera and other, you know, infections. Yeah, from uh, handling human feces. But basically, for these composting toilets, bacteria, fun fungi and worms um, can work actively to digest more than two-thirds of this solid matter and then the feces or the compost however you want to term it it should be left to heat for more than a year at the right temperatures especially if in your you're in a northern climate and your city might have different regulations for these for the uses of these composting toilets. So definitely check with your municipality because some regulate that these residents must still be hooked up to a sewer system or a septic tank and also mm-hmm. dispose of their waste themselves without disturbances to their neighbors, of course. That's really interesting. So I guess the heated portion where you have to heat the compost for a year is similar to the anaerobic digestion in wastewater Mm -hmm. treatment plants. Yeah. So it's just kind of like speeding up the degradation process of organics. Right. I'm still a little bit skeptical of this composting (laughs) idea. If you are interested, make sure you do a lot of research on it. Maybe, you know, in the next few years, we'll get some better technologies to make sure that like this is completely safe. Yeah, I would definitely look into it very heavily before I considered purchasing one. Mm -hmm. And maybe, like, start with potentially, like, if you're going to do a composting toilet, maybe use it outside, like, in an outhouse or something. And also, if you're kind of far from your neighbors, I feel like that's, like, a little bit better than if you live in the suburbs and are very close (laughs) to your neighbors. I don't think your neighbors would be a fan of you after that (laughs) if you're using it for your garden. I definitely agree with that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So a second use of biosolids, well, I guess in the home or like more in the community, would include digestate. So this is one of two products that's created through organic matter biomethanization with the other product being biogas. So it generally represents 70 to 90% of the material that ferments in the oxygen-free digester. Um, it comp- it's composed of undegraded organic matter, nutrients, and other elements that are not transformed during the biomethanization process. And so it's good for basically land application, as we talked about, and fertilization of agricultural soil. 
The third use, which I found really interesting, is that it can be made into briquettes. So this is like quite popular in Kenya. There are there is a company called Sanivations. Um, there these briquettes are a byproduct of recycled fecal matter. So it's basically a mixture of charcoal and sun-dried fecal sludge. And this recycled product basically becomes a source of energy, especially because it's a continent where wood is always scarce. And so it's a sustainable and accessible solution that is able to address, you know, some health problems in the country and boost the economy and creates jobs. I actually saw a briquette and it did not look like fecal matter. Like it definitely just looked like a charcoal block, which I was surprised by. Oh, and then they burn it for fuel. Heating for yeah. fuel. Okay. Yeah. Which is hmm, quite okay. interesting. Apparently what I heard is that it doesn't smell bad. Like it just smells as if you were using charcoal. Mm. So that's that's good to know. Yeah. And then lastly, this is more of like a, not really a home use, but more of like a municipality use that could potentially be applied here. So there are actually poop buses. So they're literally called poop poop buses. There's a fleet of poop buses that are in both Stockholm, Sweden and Bristol, UK. Um, So they run on biomethane, which is a green fuel that's produced from sewage waste at a biomethanization plant. So basically, sewage is fermented in closed tanks, as we talked about, called digesters or methanizers, by the synergistic action of naturally occurring microorganisms. And it decomposes matter without oxygen, like anaerobically, to produce a gas that can then be used to fuel the buses. And oh. so experts actually estimate that by 2030, this brand new waste to energy market could be worth $6 billion. So but- if your company that's looking to go into waste to energy, I feel like it's a big field right now. Yeah, that's super interesting. Not something that's necessarily biosolids, but even in the Minneapolis airport, they have their trash cans, which is then like waste to fuel. I don't exactly know how it works, but they, like, push it all. Once you throw something away in the trash can, it, like, pushes it down so it's, like, really dense. And then apparently they use that for fuel. Oh, that's really interesting. Apparently, Mm -hmm. okay, so also, so another usage, I guess this is not biosolids, but this is instead a liquid. But urine can also be used as a good fertilizer because it's rich in nitrogen and phosphorus. Yeah, so you can definitely also use urine for crops. So (laughs) just as a good ending note, I guess. This has been a really interesting episode. I've learned quite a few things, and it seems like biofuels to alternative uses is kind of the future. It really is. People need to get on this. Like Companies need to get their stake in this market like now, Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. So hopefully you guys also enjoyed this episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. Yeah. And thank you for listening. And we'll see you guys again in two weeks. Bye. Bye.